to conform to the Western ways of architecture. You can be everything that you're supposed to be and you should be proud of it and you should bring it to work. Hello and welcome to Tete a Tete, the Rice Architecture podcast series. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and today's episode features architects Anzilla Gilmore, Justin Taplett, and Mickey Washington. Anzilla Gilmore is the current Assistant Director for Project Management and Engineering at Rice University. Justin Taplett is an associate at Gensler Houston, and Mickey Washington is the Regional Leader of Workplace at HOK. All are currently serving as officers for Houston's chapter of the National Organization of Minority Architects. NOMA's mission is to build a strong organization for the purpose of minimizing the effects of racism in the design profession. We're excited to share a conversation with Anzilla, Justin, and Mickey about mentorship, the work of NOMA, and making the design profession more equitable. In this week's episode, on the first question, you will hear Mickey speak first, Anzilla answers next, and Justin speaks third. Let's dive in. So thank you all for being on the podcast today. Uh, just to get a little bit more context, starting off, what is everyone's experience in the field of architecture thus far, and why were you all drawn to mentorship? Well, I'll start first. Ever since I was little, I always drew buildings. I always gravitated towards the built environment. I never drew faces or flowers or anything like that. It was always the built environment. I've always had a fascination with the structures that people use the majority of the day. I've gravitated more towards the interior side of architecture because that is really where people spend most of their day. For me, the mentorship side came along because I did not see representation in the field that interests me. I had a lot of professors and other people that were uh, in the profession basically tell me that I couldn't do this. I'm not going to cut it. They didn't see other women in this field or they didn't see other minorities in this field. And so I didn't want the next generations to go through that or have as difficult a time. So for me, mentorship meant showing them that there is representation out there and there is a support system. My experience is is very similar. I'm a couple of years older than Mickey. So um, it was a little worse for me in the lack of representation in the profession. I graduated from Prairie View A&M University, um, which is an HBCU. And surprisingly enough, I had still never met a Black female architect until I went to a NOMA conference about, oh gosh, five, 10 years after I graduated. You know, I, I work in facilities in project management. So I spent about five years in the profession, actually practicing architecture. And when I went towards the owner side of the profession, that's when I started joining organizations. I joined NOMA. And I think that's where my real interest in mentorship really shined through. I recognized that there was a lack of representation, but when I joined NOMA, I realized, wow, there really are people out here and I need to do more to make myself more visible. And that's what I did. My involvement with uh, architecture started as a kid as well. I had the privilege of being raised by a mother that was in the Army. So we moved around every three years from every side of the U.S. and then two trips to Germany. Both started my school there, kindergarten, and then ended up actually graduating high school in Germany. 
then move straight to Houston. You know, if we're driving somewhere, I'm just staring out the window, looking at all the buildings and just imagining things on empty lots and things like that. And then around the middle school age, when you start actually taking some aptitude tests and teachers start figuring out what you're good at, it was suggested that, you know, architecture could be a path for me. And it really just stuck. You know, I, I never really said I wanted to do anything else except become an architect since around 10, 11 years old. And so coming to University of Houston, getting accepted into the program and going through, you know, and then kind of having your eyes open like, oh, wow, this is this is architecture, and, you know, with these abstract designs and things. It still was really fitting in what I was interested in, the math and the science, both by abstract and very logical, concrete ideas. For mentorship, you know, I didn't know what I was missing in a way until coming to a NOMA event and just seeing seeing and hearing from the folks that showed up, you know, very passionate people and leaders in the industry that were saying, you know, we want to help you. And I was just, you know, you know people say that all the time. They don't mean it, but it was very authentic. You know, and I was able to take people up on that. That's really where I seen the value. Plus where I was in my career, I was really looking also for more experienced folks to help me along that path. And I didn't necessarily see it immediately in front of me until I started coming to some of the normal events and, and connecting with some people more and really was able to help me along. So to talk a little bit more about mentorship, right now you're all officers for Houston's chapter of NOMA, the National Organization of Minority Architects. Can you talk a little bit more about how HNOMA was initially founded and talk a little bit about some of its current initiatives and how students can get involved in this? Sure. So the Houston chapter of NOMA was founded in 2005. It was a group of Prairie View alum. We got together and thought we were going to put together an architecture alumni organization for Prairie View. And in those conversations, we started thinking about, well, what does an organization look like that isn't just Prairie View? You know, what do we want to do? One of our um, founders of the chapter, Abria Fowler, she was very close to John Chase and Drusy Chase. So she she called them up and said, hey, can we have a meeting at your house? So we put together this meeting that I believe we originally called it the Houston Minority Architects Association. Right. We, we got together and we were going to have this meeting and we, we were standing in, in John Chase's house and all the people are coming out for this meeting because, of course, you want to go see John Chase's house. And John Chase encourages us to go up on the stairs to, you know, kind of talk to the group. This, this is the landing of the stairs where he designed this house, you know, kind of specifically for these kind of events. So we go up on the landing of the stairs in this, you know, introduction about what we're trying to do. We say to them, should this be a chapter of NOMA? that we're starting. And everyone was, of course, it should be a chapter of NOMA. John Chase, you know, spoke for a little while. I can't really speak to why they had never been a Houston chapter of NOMA before then, other than all of the minorities already worked in John Chase's office. So why does he need a chapter? Because they already work with him. But in 2005, we decided to, to start that chapter. And, you know, the rest is history. And speak to um, some of our current programming from our Houston chapter perspective. We have a, a few really key programs that's been successful and established and ongoing, as well as we're always developing and creating new programs as we have as our membership grows, as we have people that come in and they want to fill a gap and they, they have the 
capacity to take on leadership, which is one of the actual true values in Noma, right? If you, you can come in and take something on, you know, you're going to be the champion. There's, there's space for you to lead here. That's what also I found getting involved um, back in 2016. I was interested in teaching. I thought about it from a collegiate perspective. When I was in studios, it always felt like, oh, this would be cool. And then ended up teaching high school. Just the need that was so prevalent in in young people's lives and and being able to be there for them and move them along was definitely something near and dear to my heart. And so that's connected with, again, seeing the opportunity within NOMA, getting back into what I love to do with architecture and joining NOMA. There was a natural alignment with the program that had been established nationally, but we didn't have yet in our Houston chapter called Project Pipeline, which is specifically focused at increasing exposure to minority students to the profession of architecture. So that was something that we were able to start at our local chapter and it's continuing. Uh, This year, it will be our third year of doing it. And then we have also in the spirit of focusing on students, which is probably the theme for our chapter, the career fair. We have an annual diversity career fair that the chapter puts on. And then we kind of parlayed that into working with the NOMAS, the student chapters, to really focus on resume and portfolio building, as well as the soft skills for interviewing and just really helping students along. Most students say, well, we don't know what we're doing. We're just going along with the flow and, you know, trying to do your best. But it makes a huge difference when somebody takes you under their wing, so to say. And, you know, just giving that feedback and being very open. That's that's one thing I think we pride our chapter on is being accessible. We're really here to help students and help each other. And it's very authentic. What I like about that, too, is it, it didn't stop there. I've had a, a few mentees that have come out of those workshops. So there's still continual mentorship outside of the formalized workshops. And so it is all part of continuing to help them in their student career and then land placement so that they're a little better prepared when they enter into the workforce. So I love that aspect. Another one of the initiatives that we do that I think is critical as part of the representation part is our partnership and alignment with the collective for AIA and having that representation and alignment there. Because a lot of times other organizations aren't aware of what we're doing and what support we may need or how we can help them out in some of the things that they're doing. So I love the ability to be able to partner with other organizations because it just further helps our representation outside of our own community. What are some of the obstacles to promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion in the design professions? Whether that be at kind of the level of getting people higher up into firms or even just connecting people with jobs, like you were kind of talking about with the career fair a little bit. I would say there aren't any obstacles to promoting diversity, equity, inclusion, right? We can promote all day. I think that the obstacle is people not listening. We've been doing the career fair in Houston, Noma, since the beginning of the chapter. I think it's 16 years. And everyone, every year, would participate. It's never a problem getting people to show up because they understand, oh, yeah, we do have a diversity problem. It wasn't until the pandemic where everybody had to sit down for a minute and start kind of paying more attention than they ever have before. They started going, oh, wow, there's really, you know, a problem. And how is this problem, you know, manifesting itself in the profession? So I think everyone woke up 
to what the issues are. So I think today you have more genuine people who are genuinely concerned about promoting diversity, equity, inclusion for real reasons, not, oh, I need to get one or two in my office. But I'd say as an owner's rep, the firms, architects, everyone can promote it. But if owners don't care or don't even notice a lack of diversity, then your firm doesn't have to notice it either. So my department at Rice University, the head of my department has taken a real interest in this. She has become far more aware and she has put me in a position to help promote diversity and inclusion in our hiring practices. So I would say that that's, you know, one obstacle that has been removed from helping firms become more diverse. And just one point about the diversity aspect related to firms and kind of the culture within the design profession. So you can maybe be diverse in your workforce, even, you know, if you have 20, 50 people, you say, okay, you know, we have a mix of ethnicities here. You can be diverse in that regard. But it's numbers on a page in a way. There's still like a cultural and a social aspect of it within the office. And so if there's a firm of 30 to 50 folks or however many, and, you know, all the principals are all a, a majority white, you know, there's still a cultural aspect there. You know, you look at the ranks of leadership and, you know, is that diverse or you just is is just the entry level folks? Oh, we have, you know, uh, we have a wide range of ethnicities at, at entry level. And so there's still a cultural um, changes and just dynamics that, that can be worked on, even if you on paper have a very diverse staff. Yeah. You know, I've been at firms before where they didn't want to talk about it because they didn't want to, quote unquote, single any one group out or I don't know. It seemed like they thought it would be putting one group down if they made focus on another group. And so they just preferred not to talk about it. If things were happening in the news, they turned the TV off. If somebody said, hey, you know, let's talk about this. No, we shouldn't talk about this here. And so it became one of those things where if it wasn't talked about, it wasn't brought to the forefront of something that needed to change, it never changed. And on the achieving diversity in leadership roles, it's a well-known thing. Minorities usually have to prove they deserve it versus, let's say, white males get promoted on the potential versus their achievements. And so being in an organization that understands those biases that happen and seeing that the conscious effort to make those decisions equally across the board. I mean, there's still some unconscious bias in there. And luckily, it's usually done in a room where we can all address it and say, hey, you said that person was primed for leadership position because they had the potential. But then this minority person just calling it out. You said they haven't proven that they deserve it. And usually everybody has to stop and pause and like, oh, no, you're right. That's that's not right. And so I think some of those are challenges. It's easier to talk about it now, but actually putting it into practice is where you start seeing those human biases coming in and it's hard to retrain. And so if there's a collective like-minded goal within the organization of leadership that can make those changes, it, it helps make those change the curve a little bit. One of the other things that I've seen that has been a challenge is when you have people that have hiring decisions, they don't see the value or the potential of 
hiring minority students from, let's say, HBCUs because they just haven't hired them before. And so in their mind, they're used to hiring students from the major private universities, et cetera, and they haven't expanded to even getting into those other schools and seeing what the programs are about and seeing the potential of hiring students from the usual. And so that has been a shortcoming. Luckily, we've been changing that at, at the company I work for, but I've seen that in so many other firms where they just, oh, well, no, we never reach out to those schools because we're just not familiar with their program and it'd be hard to train them up to where we want them to be and et cetera. So it's, again, they can say they want to be diverse, but if they don't actually put the steps in to working with those universities and getting to know those students and mentoring them and all those other things, they're never going to achieve what they're saying they want to achieve. I think that's a lot of what NOMA is and a lot of what NOMA has grown to be over the years. So we just kicked off an HBCU professional development program. And to me, that is really about having a network that students can tap into. Because I think a lot of the issues that at least plague African-Americans in this profession is there are only like 2,300 registered Black architects in this profession, right? So there's a real good chance that you're walking around as a Black student, you don't know anybody. You don't have those well-connected cousins or uncles or friends of the family. That's what NOMA is becoming. We are helping to kind of break down the barriers that prevent minorities, at least Black minorities, I'll say, from getting into the profession. Now, NOMA isn't just about Black students, but I would say that the obstacle is even more prevalent for minorities that are obviously minorities, right? There are other minorities that can go the Western way right? They don't have to bring their authentic selves to work every day. They can assimilate in a way that, you know, I can't when I show up with my natural hair. It just doesn't work for me that way. So we're just trying to help break down those barriers and really help everyone understand that you can bring your authentic self to work because that's what makes design better. You don't have to conform to the Western ways of architecture. You can be everything that you're supposed to be and you should be proud of it and you should bring it to work. When companies realize or recognize the value in adding that mix uh, cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds versus hiring people that are just like who's already there. That's when real change can happen. A richness is developed. You can't be diverse and represent your city or your region if you're only hiring people that look and talk and act just like you. You know, Houston is the most diverse city. The organization should re represent that. Our registered architects should represent the number that we have practicing. I mean, percentage-wise, it should even out. It's not. That's one of the things that I think when organizations really realize and latch on to, you know, this isn't, it's not helping our organization to just hire people that look just like us. Or that we can make act like us. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> talk like us. Exactly. Because I think that is a lot of the problem is, is the, the desire to assimilate. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the reasons why maybe you don't go into an HBCU. Cause I think you said it, Mickey, Oh, we'll have to train them up. We'll yeah. have to get them to be, you know, what we are. And you're like, yeah, nah. you might not want them to be just like you. Nope. Nope. <laughs>
Well, I really liked the point about preparing people to be their authentic selves at work and like working to change the culture of firms a little bit. I'm wondering if there's anything you think like educational institutions or other architecture institutions can really do to participate in preparing students to go into work environments where they can try to change some of that culture or maybe just preparing them for how they can maybe be their authentic selves at work. So I don't know if Justin and Mickey had the same experience I had, but I don't think my school of architecture realized that I was going to graduate and go become an architect. There wasn't any conversation about when you graduate, this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to know. I think this HBCU program, that's what we're trying to do to educate the students to what to expect. But it's also this program is also supposed to be about teaching the firms about how to be better employers to minorities so they'll stick around, right? That maybe you need to stop trying to convince them that they need to fit into this this nice little box so they can be at your firm. And I think it's really organizations like NOMA and you know, everyone that's, that's in these upper levels of these firms, they have to speak up. They have to start talking about the experiences they had early on. And, you know, were it not for the grace of God, I would have left the profession too. There are a lot of people out there that have those stories. We just need to start talking more. Yeah. 100% agree. My undergrad did not anticipate me walking across that stage. Every minority that I started undergrad with pretty much all dropped out. So I was the oops that made it. I mean, I was told by my professors, you're not going to make it. You need to change your career path. This isn't going to be for you. You're not going to be successful. I don't know why you're still here. <laughs> And of course, that just made me more determined, but it also was a very lonely, isolated feeling when you're walking across the stage of, I think we had 10 people that made it in my graduating class, and I was the only Black student that made it, and I'm looking around like, this can't be right. Like, is this what I'm going to face entering in the workforce? You know, having other universities that have the professional practice classes and having professionals come in and share what students can expect and having students come and do shadow programs or other aligning with mentors in the profession that they can start to get a sense of what it's really like and what they can expect or things to look out for lessons learned, I think just better alignment and partnership with the universities and minorities in the profession will help go a long way instead of just this institution of, you know, you pump all of these theories and hopes and goals into the students, but you don't prepare them for what's really going to happen. And there's usually a sense of, well, maybe I made the wrong choice in this program. This doesn't seem to be working out for me. So I definitely think that there's some better alignment and, and, and it is happening. I mean, obviously with NOMA, it's happening, but in organizations as a whole, just really getting more involved in the students, whether it's juries or just helping them along the way and also helping those professors not instill fear and <laughs> doubt into the students. Well, we already know architecture college is there's a disconnect, right? That's the, the number one just with design that they teach us and then practice. Like anybody that actually graduates and starts working, you know, you kind of look up after a year and you're like, what am I doing? Like, this is not what I was doing in school. This is not the same. And you reevaluate. And so I think as a minority, there's a, a double whammy in that aspect of, right, the cultural piece that we're talking about. 
So just the work itself and then, you know, opportunities and exposure to different projects, you know, just opportunities in general. You know, you may be asking yourself why you're not getting certain ones. So it's from the university level is like they're choosing to be separate from practice and whatever needs to be done to make that bridge and to actually put a responsibility within the universities to say like, hey, if you had two black students out of your class of 300 that entered as freshmen, you know, you shouldn't be telling them, hey, you're probably not going to make it statistically. Although statistics may say, you know, that you should have a mentality or a a specific written out objective that we're going to get these students through and get them a job. These are going to be prepared and they're not going to be part of that negative statistic. It's, It's shocking how many people have that story that make you just say that, you know, that professor's tell you that you're not going to make it. I didn't have that experience specific to me, but I did have a professor in like a class setting. You know, you'll have a diff- more difficult time as, as a brown person in this profession. And it was just like a matter of fact, you know, it's like, well, what are you going to do to help me like not have that issue? Like, that's, let's talk about that. Yeah, I guess universities, yeah, they really need to see themselves in the pipeline. And if they want to recruit and have more diverse student body, and that should be a value that they have. Yeah, I will say this, though. I do know that they try. I've been I've sat on many juries and I have I have participated. I connect with students all the time. So I, I can't say that the universities are not trying. But I think like everything, there does have to be a cultural shift. Right. There has to be more of the professors that are actually practicing, talking to the students about the practice I don't remember my professors that were practicing telling me anything about what they did all day. Mickey and I actually went to the same school. She went for undergrad and I went for graduate school. I had a negative experience, but it wasn't that blatant. But that weeding out process that they, I think that all architecture schools have, that really has got to stop. It should really be about nurturing students and letting the students naturally weed themselves out. Architecture is a real easy thing for you to decide you don't want to do all by yourself. I don't, you don't need anybody to help you out. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Justin. I really, the, the, there has to be a, a shift somehow in those programs. But I think we can help with that, too. I think that we can stick our noses in as professionals and, you know, go over and, and talk to students. And we don't have to even go through the schools. We just we connect with the students, you know, separately. And that's why we have these NOMOSH chapters. There's one student that we met in one of the career fairs we did. And luckily, he's gotten involved with the student chapter. But he brought me and a few others to tears because he was first generation here to this country. And his undergrad, he went into something else because he didn't know the proper resources or steps that he had to do to qualify for the undergrad program in architecture. The universities weren't coming to his high school and his parents didn't know how to find out the proper information. And so he ended up applying to some other program that he could get into because he didn't realize the portfolio that he needed or whatever it was that were the qualifying things to to get into the program. And so now that he's applying for grad school, he's found NOMA student chapter and he's gotten connected. And so now he has those resources and he was just overcome with emotion 
from the support that existed that he didn't know about when, you know, his parents were trying to help him figure out what school to go into. And that just reaffirms why this is so critical. The universities majorly are not reaching out into the high schools to help those students make this path easier. So that's why organizations like NOMA and and others are so critical if we're really going to help change this pattern. There really is so many steps in the process to becoming an architect that require just having an awareness of all the resources that you might need, like having a portfolio, knowing what a portfolio should look like, having potentially access to those classes in school, whether it be high school or even later on. Is there anything that you wanted to address that I didn't ask you about yet or any further points that you might want to add to anything well, I see you have a question here about licensure, and I did I did want to talk about that, and it may be completely opposite of what we've been saying or what I've been saying about making it easier. I don't think licensure should be made easier, honestly. I think that our profession is important enough, and that the health, safety, and welfare aspect of what we do, not just the pretty, but make sure it doesn't fall down on somebody, is important enough that the licensing process should be rigorous. I think it it should be what it is. And I am a little concerned that it's getting easier and easier. Like I took nine tests. I got to take it on a computer at my own pace. The people before me had to go all the way to Austin and sit in a room and bring all their books. It was awful. I think we like to tell these horrible stories, but I will say that if it got down to, oh, you only got to take one test and, you know, you take it on a Saturday afternoon, it's two hours and it costs 200 bucks. That is not, I think, what we're trying to do. We should be here to support each other in going through this process and going through, you know, the rigors of taking this test. I don't think that the cost is a barrier for people who are really dedicated to you know, becoming architects. And I think that there are scholarships and, you know, there is support available. When I took the test, my firm paid for the test after I passed it. So I was going to pass that test. So I got my money back, right? I don't think it should be made easier. I think we just need to make sure that we give the resources to the people that need it. I hadn't done a lot of thinking about, you know, the path, the actual requirements, like in carbon testing, and it was just something that you, you had to figure out and you kind of rumbled and stumbled and you definitely needed somebody to help you and tell you like, pay this or sign up here. And it was not just like something that you're going to figure out by yourself for the most part without a level of difficulty and confusion. Architecture historically and just the way that it's even set up is an apprenticeship, right? I mean, you go through school and then you have to come out and you have to learn from somebody else which is unique in a way and it doesn't change. And somebody's going to show you how to put that set of drawings together. You're not just going to figure that out, right? You need to really study under somebody. And I guess it's included in how to take the test, right? And how to get through that process. So in a way, it still feeds back to that mentorship aspect that we kind of was the theme of this conversation. I know some really smart, talented people that just really got stuck on the test and it's really a barrier to that career progression in a way. And actually some people left the profession because they didn't want to fool with the requirements of the test. So, you know, I never thought about changing the process either. I think it's just a perspective, you know, that's almost a negative connotation of like making it easier and it's like lowering the bar, so to say. And to all of Anzi and Mickey's points, 
about what the profession has been and should continue to be and the value there. So I think the perspective is, is just about uplifting people to meet that bar. That's the work that we're doing. That's where the focus should be. Yeah, I like actually telling people it's the equivalent of passing the bar. For some reason, people can resonate with that. It's like, oh, then that's really difficult. When I just, when I say, yeah, I'm taking my architectural exams, it's kind of like, a, oh, okay. Like, no, no, let me give you something to compare it to, because for some reason that sets the standard of what a difficult career changing, you know, license is. But I, I agree with you, Anzi. It's too important and it really helps to set why this career, and this profession is so important and so critical and valued. And it also reflects how much we should get paid. You know, if we're still considered an arts profession or whatever, it's not as valuable as something that is a math and science and technical profession. So it, it is important and it should be treated as such. One of the other things that I just wanted to quickly touch on is providing examples of the different paths you can take with this degree or this profession. Everybody's not going to go into being the, you know, the master architect at a company. Some people may want to go into management. Some people may want to go into graphic design or there's so many other pathways that you can take with this. And I think, again, going back to the students, giving them exposure of what is out there when they graduate, because they get out of school and they're like, OK, now what? Am I just going to be picking up door details for the rest of my career? Um, when I came out of school, I didn't know what my paths were. I just did whatever was told to me to do. And I didn't, I never saw myself as being in leadership. That wasn't an option for me. I didn't see myself doing anything other than just what was assigned to me. And so it was only after some years and seeing other examples of, oh, I could I could take this same degree and go into a different direction because all of these people around me have the same degree, but they're doing something a little different that resonates a little more with what their passions are. And so I, I would love to see that. And there's other, there's organizations like Women in Architecture, et cetera, that have been doing series on pathways for women in architecture. And I, I love that type of conversation because you can see the students' eyes light up like, oh, I didn't know that was an option. Exactly. Basically, the goal of mentorship and organizations like NOMA is to really make sure that everyone, like Justin says, has an equal shot at hitting that bar. It's about giving people the resources and making sure that they can really succeed in whatever path they want to go into as well and giving them the resources, like Mickey said, to really know that there are other paths. So I just want to thank you all for your great words and agreeing to be on the podcast today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. For more information on Houston NOMA and how to get involved, please visit their website, HoustonNOMA.org. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. And don't forget to subscribe to our page on your favorite platforms to keep up with new releases. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and this has been Tete a Tete.